Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Well, last week we started this series uh, called uh, Spirit and Truth, and really we're digging into kind of apologetic series, just really giving you guys some anchors for your faith. And last week we talked about cosmology, which is basically just the study of the cosmos, the study of the universe. And we talked about how really the universe speaks, and even the psalmist talks about this, that that God is revealed in his handiwork, that God is revealed in the universe. And and even through the design and the fine-tuning of the universe and the fine-tuning of the human body, God has revealed himself. And we talked a lot about that last week. If you weren't here or you missed last week's message, uh, maybe you were serving or something like that, jump in, listen to the podcast, because I think it will really help you. It's, it's, it's kind of brainy, you know, it's kind of heady, and uh, I struggle a little bit with that sometimes, but but uh, just I feel like it's important, especially in this hour, if we're going to be light in the darkness, then we need to be declaring the truth, not just, hey, I have an experience. I actually have some things that, that, that can help people anchor their faith to as well. So this week, I want, I want to tackle a difficult subject, and, and the subject is this, the problem of evil. Have you ever heard of the problem of evil? Why is there so much chaos in the world? Right, So if we went around the room, we could all agree with this one thing. There's one thing that we all know that I don't have to convince you about. Something is broken. Something is messed up on the earth. And we can all agree with that. Something's wrong. What do we call this? We call this the problem of evil. I want to lay this out for you right now. The problem of evil is a human problem. It's not a problem for Christians. It's not a problem for God. It's a problem for humans. Because you take God out of the equation, which is impossible to do, take God out of the equation and you still have a problem. You still have a problem. Or we'll say things like, if if God is good, then why is there evil? If God is good and if God is real, then why do bad things happen? So there's a claim and the claim is this, is that evil exists, therefore God does not exist. This is a, a very weak argument, and hopefully I can help you understand that that's a weak argument. However, it's very real. This is where, because you have the intellectual side, and then you have the emotional side of the problem of evil. Most people deal with the problem of evil through an emotional lens. This happened to me, therefore God's not real, therefore God does not love me, God does not care about me. We, we run in this train of thought. Why? Because we're, we're making an emotional decision. But what I want to do today is I want to help you turn your mind on, come on, engage your mind, equip your mind so you can understand that as truth. That way the truth will dominate your emotions, okay? And so, which, how many of you know emotions are a good thing, but emotions are seasoning. Truth is meat, so seasoning's awesome. We love it. We love a lot of salt and hot sauce and all the sauces. We love it. But you've got to have the meat. You've got to have the truth. And so the claim is this, evil exists, therefore God goes, uh, does not exist. The conclusion of, of critics and opponents of the Christian view or just theism in general uh, goes as follows. First of all, an, unpower, an all-powerful God or an omnipotent God can do anything. Okay, this is the argument. God is powerful. God is omnipotent, which means he's 
omnipowerful, omnipotent. He is all power. He can do anything. The, the second is this. God is all good, right? God is omnibenevolent. So how can an all good God, why doesn't he stop evil and suffering? This is, this is how it follows. The, 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 the third idea is this. If, if evil and suffering exists, God doesn't exist. So this is where many people land when they think about spiritual things, when they think about God. God does not exist. Why? Well, just look at the world. And I would say, yes, just look at the world. That's what we talked about last week. And so the claim is that either God does not exist because there's evil in the world, or he's not good, or he's not powerful. Because in fact, bad things happen to good people. I want to suggest this to you today. Evil is only possible where there is human freedom. If we are simply robots, if we are simply being controlled, there is no such thing as evil. It's just in our programming. And we're programmed to do that. And this is what the materialist is forced to believe. Therefore, leading you to think that really there's no evil because nobody chose to do evil. No, no, no. God created free agents of choice. And God's willingness to grant us the freedom of making those choices allows us to also make the choice between good and evil. It's what happened to the garden. Remember? God set them there. He's like, you, this is what I want you to do. I want you to eat from the tree of life. Don't eat from this tree. Just one thing you're not supposed to do. <laughs> Just one. Look at all this stuff you can do. Just that one thing. But we always want to do what we're not supposed to do. So, we, so God created free agents of choice. Get this. Evil exists because sin exists. That's what evil is, right? Evil is when we commit sin. Suffering exists because sin exists. Now, that's not to conclude that you were suffering because you sinned. No, because sin is rampant on the earth. Sin, you got to view sin not just as an act, but, it, but in a sense, sin is a law that's operating on the earth. This is why you don't have to work hard to sin. Just like you don't have to work hard to fall over. You've got a law called gravity. So there's this law that's operating on the earth called sin. And all of us at times give into that law, just like we all at times give into the law of gravity. Right? Have you ever been sitting there and your foot is asleep? Yeah. As you get older, this happens more often. You know, if you're like early 20s, this probably doesn't happen to you that frequently because your circulation's really good. Uh, and as you get older, for some of y'all, everything just kind of slows down. And some of y'all that are older than me are kind of like, yeah, you don't even know. And so, yeah. So just humor me in that. Romans 5.12, and this is important because we're going to revisit Romans 5 in just a moment. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Now, sin was already at play. Remember, darkness fell upon the face of the deep. What was that? That was the fall. Satan sinned before Adam ever did. However, it wasn't on the earth. The earth was like heaven. 
the earth was functioning the way it was designed to function, then Adam and Eve do the one thing that God said not to do. And the reason why he wanted them not to do, because he did not want them to experience pain. He did not want them to experience suffering. But when Adam sinned, sin entered the world and Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. So do we sin because we have free will or do we sin because we're descendants of Adam? Yes, because if you were Adam, you would have done the same thing. Well, not me. I know you're so righteous. This is the truth. Evil does exist. It's a true statement. Evil exists. But evil is a thing but it's not something. This is what Greg Kokel says. Evil is a thing, but not something. So the materialists have to deal with evil in this way. A materialist, again, we're not talking about a materialist like somebody's really into money. A materialist is, is a person that believes the only things that you see or that are tangible are real. Well, evil is not something that you can touch. It affects you, but it's not something that you can touch. So the materialists are forced to say, well, really, evil doesn't exist because evil's not something. It's a thing. It's a reality, but it's not something. You, it's not tangible. You can't touch it. So if humans are just matter, evil and suffering doesn't really matter because it's just a program. We're just a simulation. We're just this program that's going on. So it doesn't really matter if you do anything evil or you hurt someone, or you harm someone. Why? Because you're just matter. And matter doesn't really matter. Evil is not a thing. It's an absence of a thing. Actually, evil is the absence of a thing. Just like a hole. I think we got a picture of a hole. It's kind of an illusion hole. A hole is not a thing. What is a hole? A donut hole is a thing. We want one of those. But a hole is not a thing. What is a hole? A hole is an absence of something that's supposed to be there. So evil is not a thing. Evil is the absence of a thing. Evil is the absence of good. Just like darkness is not a thing. Darkness is not a thing. Darkness is just there. But it takes light to awaken darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. Evil is the absence of good. This is referred to, if you, if you want to dig into it, the privation theory of evil. It's, it's the absence of a good thing. Here's another thing that you have to grapple with, with the idea of, of, of evil, is this. The truth is this, that objective morality also exists. So evil exists, but it's also objective what defines what's evil and what is good. Would you agree? There is, there is definitely a line between what is good and what is evil. And a lot of people, and this is the problem of postmodernism. Again, we talked about that last week. The problem is, is, well, what's evil for you might not be evil for me. And so it ends up being based upon a feeling. Correct? So morality is an, is an issue for the materialist because morality also is not material. Again, if we are only matter, choices don't matter. Y'all okay? So morality is a problem for an atheist or a materialist. And, and not, not in the sense of that you can't be virtuous, 
Not that you can't make good choices, but did you have no standard to base those choices? You'll be forced to say, well, it's, it's a social construct. Evil is a social construct. Okay, let's just say that that was the case with Hitler. In his society, it was a social construct to be able to destroy the Jews. It's a social construct to, to, to be able to kill babies that are in the womb. It's just okay. Because our morality evolves. No, no, no. In every human, we all know this fact. There is right and there is wrong. What, 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 what makes Mother Teresa righteous or moral and Hitler evil? It's an objective standard. It's an objective source of righteousness. So who gives us that standard of morality? Who decides what is right and what is wrong? Do you decide? Because you can talk to anyone that's ever committed a, a heinous crime, and you could ask them if what they were doing was right or was it wrong, and they would find a way to justify it. The, the fact is, is we always justify immorality. Whatever that immorality is, no matter how small or how, how large it is, we will justify morality or we will feel guilty about it. And let me help you because we live in a society that doesn't want any guilt. Let me help you. Guilt is a gift when you've done the wrong thing. Guilt is a gift when you've done the wrong thing. And so whenever you feel a sense of guilt, I'm not talking about condemnation. Condemnation is where I am a bad person. Guilt is I've done a bad thing. Now, if you're not in Christ, you are a bad person. Understand, if you are, you can get out of being a bad person. You have to be reborn into a new person. You can become the righteousness of God, but that's only found in Christ Jesus. The only way that you're virtuous before God has nothing to do with the choices, has to do with the trust, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's the only way you got to be born again because we're all broken, but we can all be healed. Come on. So there, so there must be a moral law. Therefore, there must be a law giver. And we know who that law giver is. So the conclusion to that is evil exists. That means that good exists. And there must be a standard. Moral goodness exists. God must exist. Good must exist. There must be a source of moral goodness. Here's another truth for you. God cannot do anything. And that's where this conclusion starts off, right? God can do anything, right? God can do anything. This is, this is what we, we throw this around. God can do anything he wants. And so what happens is there's this straw man that's brought up that says, God can, can God create a rock so big that he can't lift? You ever heard this? Ah, gotcha here. Can God beat himself in an arm wrestling match? Can omnipotence disqualify omnipotence? Let's say that he can make a rock that he can't lift. This is a category error. Can God beat himself in an arm wrestling match? Contest. No, that's silly. 
It's an incoherent question because power doesn't do those type of things. That's not what power does. So when we say that God is omnipotent, what we're saying is that God can do anything that power can do. Omnipotence doesn't mean that God can do anything. It means it, because omnipotence has to do with power, not ability. There are many things that God can't do. I know some of you don't like that statement. You're kind of cringing. Oh, there's things that God can't do. I don't want to say that. No, God can do anything that power can do. However, he cannot lie because he's morally perfect. He is perfection. God cannot make a square circle. Now, he can turn a circle into a square, but he can't make a square circle. But once he makes, turns a circle into a square, it's no longer a circle. God can't make a married bachelor. I know some of you guys think you're a married bachelor. Oh, easy. That's for the marriage series. We're probably not going to do this year. Now, he can make a bachelor married, but then he's not a bachelor anymore. God cannot create a 60-year-old man. He can create a man that looks like he's 60 years old, but he's not a 60-year-old man. A rock he can't lift is a category error. It has nothing to do with power. Instead, it's a logical contradiction. And it's contrary to God's rational nature. Get this, God cannot create free moral agents that are not morally free. So is God in control? I guess it depends on what you mean by that. I like to say God is in charge. He is an authority. However, he doesn't decide all the decisions that you and I make. Guess who gets to decide those? You do. And if you're yielded to God, then you will make the decisions he wants you to make. God is not obsessed with control. He is not a cosmic dictator. He's not looking around going, you're my puppet. I want you to do this. I want you to do evil. I want you to do evil. I want you to do good. This is not, God is not in the business of interfering with morally free agents to decide what morally free agents do. Those morally free agents get to decide. God didn't choose for you to sin. I've heard people make this mistake where they say, well, I guess God just meant it for you. No, God, God using a bad decision you make is different than God deciding a bad decision you made. God didn't choose for you to sin just like he didn't choose Putin to. Putin, Putin, Putin. What, how, yeah, Putin, Putin. So, I'm glad I wasn't Putin in grade school. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe he's, he had people make a fun of his name when he was a kid. Uh, I don't know. The reality is this. Suffering happens. All of us suffer. At some depth, some of us, all of us suffer. We all suffer from something. Physical suffering, emotional suffering, grief, loss, anxiety. We, we, we all deal with this stuff. We all suffer at some level. I, I, I want to help you real quick because I'm, I'm, I'm talking about loss and it's, it works here. When someone experiences loss, 
don't attempt to sound spiritual. And this is what we do, right? Because we're the Christian. And I'm so glad you see yourself as an ambassador. That's exactly who you are. But sometimes ambassadors don't ambassador well. And I've heard Christians say a lot of ridiculous, unbiblical, unsound things when people are suffering. One is they say it's God's will. Uh, When someone loses a child, they'll say, God needed another angel in heaven. Well, first of all, humans don't become angels. Read your Bible. Angels are different. Humans are different than angels. Don't say it's God's will. You know what the best thing you can do when somebody's suffering? It's not to be spiritual. It's to be available. That's the best thing you can be. The most spiritual thing that you can do when someone's suffering is by being available, not having all the answers. Sometimes the best answer for you to have, you want to know what the most spiritual answer you can have sometimes when someone's suffering and they go, why did this happen? You just look at them in the eye with compassion in your eyes and you say, I don't know. But I do know that you will get through it. And I do know that I'll be here with you. And I'll be cheering you on. Be compassionate. But don't be afraid to, don't feel like you have to have all the answers. Listen, that is a struggle that I have sometimes as a pastor. I feel like I have to have all the answers. And I just don't. I'm not God. But I can point you to God. So this 20th century century, uh, British philosopher named uh, uh, Bertrand Russell made this statement. How could anyone talk of God when kneeling at the bed of a dying child? Or what do you say to a, to, to a parent that just lost a child about God? If God is real, then why do children die? Why is there suffering? Where was God? And William Lane Craig, a name that you should probably write down, um, you'll want to take a minute to listen to everything. He says, no distractions, because he's, he's a philosopher who's incredibly intelligent. If you do any of his reading, you'll want to take a lot of time. William Lane Craig, look him up, YouTube, he's all over. They said, what is your response, William Lane Craig, to that? Where's God? Why are you praying to God at the death of a child? Tell me you believe in God. So what is, what is the response And so William Lane Craig's response is this. What are you going to say to a dying child or to a parent of a dying child? What are you going to say, atheist, person that doesn't believe in God? Too bad? Tough luck? That's the way it goes? No happy ending, no silver lining, nothing but devastation? Beloved, we have hope. Even when it feels hopeless, we have something. But the atheists, the materialists offer nothing. What are you going to say to suffering? What are you going to say to evil? We're just stardust, and this is just part of the program. The problem of evil isn't God's problem. It's not God's problem, yet he solves it. I love it. It's not his problem, but he solves it. See, if you get rid of God, you don't get rid of pain. 
and you don't get rid of suffering, and many have attempted to do this. If I will just eliminate God, my pain and suffering won't be there. No, you just won't have anyone there to walk you through your pain and your suffering. It'll still be there. Eliminate God, and it's still there. So some, some, some think that they, they will punish God. I've seen a lot of believers do this. Things don't go their way. They, they face suffering. And I, I, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm weeping with them. And they get mad at God, so they attempt to punish God, kind of holding God hostage in their life because evil has happened, because suffering has happened. They think, I, I will punish God for this. I won't serve God, or I'll be mad at God, or I'll be disconnected with God, or I won't pray. It doesn't help you in your pain. It simply compounds it because you, ina- you alienate, alienate yourself from the source of that pain. Understand this, beloved, that when sin entered the world, chaos entered the world along with pain and along with suffering, but God provides solutions. See, God is not the problem. He's the solution. He's the solution to the problem of evil. Romans 5, here I told you we would continue. Verse 17, several verses down. For if by the trespasses of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more? Will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness, the gift of righteousness, it's a gift of righteousness. It's not an earned righteousness. It's a gift of righteousness. Reign in life through one man. If everything was jacked up because of this one man, everything can be solved through this one man. See, God is not the problem. He's the solution. And if you want to blame God for the pain and the suffering, I want to ask you the question today, where do you get your information about God? This is the message, 1 John 1.5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light And in him, there is no darkness at all. In him, there is no emptiness at all. In him, there is no evil at all. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Colossians 2.8, where do you get your information about God? He says this, Paul tells the, the, the church here, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. See, there is a problem, a problem called evil, a problem called pain, a problem called suffering, but God solves the problem when he speaks his word, who is Jesus We talked about this last week, John chapter one. In the beginning was the word. The same word that created the heavens and the earth is the same word that holds you together through Christ. Jesus is, listen, Jesus is the image of God. Where do you get your information about God? How have you learned about God? Have you learned about it through what you heard or what you've experienced or have you looked Through the lens of Jesus. See, Jesus didn't just come to rescue humanity. 
He did come for that. That's his primary agenda. What did you come for, Jesus? To seek and save the lost. But part of his process in seeking the saving the lost was to reveal what God looks like. Jesus is what God looks like. Did Jesus bring pain? Did Jesus bring suffering? Did Jesus strike people with sickness? Did people, Jesus push people away that were unfit to be in his presence? No. Thomas, the skeptic. We're all, we all got a little Thomas in us. Thomas didn't stay a skeptic, by the way. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I'm the way. You know the way because you're following me. I am the truth and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. Whoa. We have all these conceptions about God. If you know me, you'll know the Father. From now on, you do know him. From now on. They thought they had God all figured out. He's like, hold up. I'm showing you what God's like. From now on, you will know him, the Father, and have seen him. And Philip doesn't get it. Lord, show us the Father. It's like, let me repeat myself. Show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Do you get it? Even after I've been along, around you for so, such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. What does the Father look like? What does he look like? He looks like Jesus. See, Jesus is the way to the Father. He's the way, the truth, the life. But listen, Jesus reveals the way of the Father, the truth about the Father, and life in the Father. Jesus shows us not just the way, but he shows us who the Father is. Hebrews 1.3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The exact, what does God look like? Exactly like Jesus. All your misconceptions. Now read all of Jesus, not just the parts you like, because he's not always meek and mild. Sometimes he's throwing over tables and calling out sinners. There are things that he's intolerant about. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation. Christ is the visible image, Colossians 1.15, the invisible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and he reigns supreme over all creation. Jesus. 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 He is what the Father looks like. So when we see pain and sickness and disease, it's not because God planned those things. Listen, we call that devil ministry. Steal, kill, destroy, deceive, disrupt devil ministry. I have come that you might have life and life to its fullest. God doesn't create problems. He provides solutions. God doesn't create problems. He provides solutions. God, listen, God knew the solution before the problem ever existed. This is why Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. He already had a plan to fix the problem. I love John 3.16. We all do. 
right? We love it at the football game on Tim Tebow's face. We don't play football anymore. Something. For God so loved the world that he gave. Why did God send Jesus? Because he was so mad and he couldn't tolerate humanity's sin anymore. No, that was not his. Those, those things are, God is very intolerant towards sin. But get this, his, his motivation, his drive is this. He loved the world. God loved the world that he gave the most precious thing he had. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not suffer, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world, to rescue the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Sin is in the world, and we're condemned because of it. Because they have not believed. Why? Why? Why is there suffering? Why? Why can't we? And listen, we're not, we're not free from the suffering card. We'll get into this in just a minute. We will suffer. We'll struggle. Look at the other church. Look at Jesus. But, we, but, but, but the, the suffering ends for us. There's hope in the suffering. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light. People love immorality. We know this. You know this. I know this personally. You know this personally. You love darkness. You love the, the darkness that you dabble in sometimes. Do you not? You say, no, 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 I don't love it. I hate it. Agreed. I hate it too, but, 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 but I also love it. That's why I do it. Everyone who does what, does what is evil hates the light. And will not come into the light, for fear of their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly. And what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So Jesus suffered to take the sting out of suffering. And in this life, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So we have hope in the midst of suffering. See, Jesus suffered to take the sting out of suffering. And what we love about God is that when we are dealing with pain, and I'm, I hope today you don't feel that I've, I've taken your pain lightly. I, I, I do not take it lightly. I know it's weighty. I know it's difficult, but I know this, that God provides a purpose in the pain. God didn't provide the pain, but he provides the purpose in it. He's not the author of pain. He's not the author of suffering. But God makes sure that no pain that happens in your life is wasted. No pain will be wasted in my life. No pain, no suffering that happens in your life will be wasted. God will use it. He didn't cause it, but he will work it together for your good. Romans 8, we know that all things, in all things, God works the good of those that love him and have been called according to his purpose. So through this life, we have pain, we have sorrow, we have grief. And we have these scars, don't we? How many have scars? Maybe you, you ever do scar stories, right? Guys do this. See my scar, right? We have a story behind our scar. See, scars in the kingdom take us from pain to power. The, the thing that's beautiful about scars is this. Scars speak louder of the wind 
I'm sorry, of the wind than the wound. Scars speak louder of the wind than the wound. Other words, I survived. Other words, I'm still here. Scars speak of not what happened, but of what God did. Wounds speak of death, but scars, and even Jesus in his resurrected state had scars. Listen, wounds speak of death, but scars speak of resurrection. So scars say, I was pain, I was in suffering, but I serve a God who is a healer. And I serve a God that gives life. Will you stand with me this morning? I just want you to close your eyes and focus on the Lord just for a moment, just for a moment. I feel like the Lord's already done a lot of stuff today, but I, I think we just need to kind of zero in on the Lord. Lord, we love you. I want to help you today. Some of you, you've been mad at God. You've been frustrated at God. You've been distant. I'm not condemning you for that today. We're just recognizing that's where you're at or that's where you've been. Don't blame God for that distance. Don't blame God for the distance that you were experiencing because you pushed the Lord away. Jesus came to close the distance. Jesus came on a rescue mission. He came for you. I've been digging into a story that I can't get over. I keep coming back around to it. It's the story of the prodigal son. We call it the prodigal son. It's not really the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of the found son. And it says that he came to his senses, this son that was off, indulging in life distant from the Father by His choice. And it finally comes to His senses. And He says, I'll go back to my dad and I'll, I'll just, I'll see if he'll hire me. Maybe I can work for dad instead of working for this pig herder. And so He comes to His senses. He decides to go home. And when He's on the road home, His father sees Him. You know what that tells me? That tells me that the father was looking for him. 
tells me that the father who went out on the porch that day and looked out into the distance again, if he had done it a hundred times, a thousand times, day after day, week after week, as he'd walk out on the porch and he'd look in the distance for his son, he said, man, maybe today, maybe today, I know famines hit the land, I know that it's rough, but maybe today, maybe today will be the day that my son comes home, maybe today, and then that day he walks out and he sees his son in the distance. He sees this frail figure that kind of looks like somebody that he's seen before, and he looks, and his heart reaches out, and he's longing, and he sees the sun, and he runs. He runs out to meet him. He runs out to meet him, and listen, the Lord sees you. He sees you in your suffering. He sees you in your pain. He sees you in your anger and your frustration. All the tension you carry, the Lord sees. And all he's asking is that you would just come to your senses and you would just kind of stretch out just a little bit. You don't have to be solid. You don't have to have a, you still smell like pig dung. You still look stinky. You still are dirty. You still have made bad choices. But you said, you know what? I'm going to go home. Maybe he'll be gracious. And that's all he wants. That's all he wants. And then the father closes the distance. And this is what he does with Jesus. He closes the distance he wants.